This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Well, welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen to our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan S. Pierce. I practice law in Salem, Massachusetts, and our firm represents injured workers and their families in cases involving on-the-job injuries, Social Security, disability, and the like. You know, if you've listened to any of our other programs, you know we're not only committed to helping people who have been injured at work, but also to deliver programs here on Workers' Comp Matters that deal with the various issues, medical, legal, etc., dealing with the vast area of workers' compensation. You can hear any of our shows right here on the Legal Talk Network or find them in iTunes. What we want to talk about today uh, is defending the complex workers' compensation case. And joining me here in the studio is a well-known Boston attorney, Tom O'Reilly, from the law firm of Curtin, Murphy & O'Reilly. Tom began his legal career as staff counsel to Travelers Insurance Company in Boston. He now has developed a significant practice in the defense of occupational injury claims, particularly in the area of occupational disease and toxic exposure cases, both here in Massachusetts and under the provisions of the Longshore and Harbor Workers' Compensation Act. He's an experienced civil litigator as well in state and federal courts, and he has been Massachusetts counsel to several national corporations on toxic exposure cases. He was manager of the Asbestos Litigation Department, at a prominent Boston law firm from 1985 to 1993 and has been the manager of occupational injury department until the firm's partners established Curtin Murphy and O'Reilly. Tom is a frequent continuing legal education lecturer on trial practice and occupational injury claims. Tom, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to join us today on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for having me, Alan. Tom, the topic that we discussed is uh, defending the complex workers' comp case, and both you and I know that workers' compensation, uh, while originally envisioned to be a simple and summary process, has evolved over the years, not only the years we've been practicing, but years uh, before that from a relatively simple procedural substantive body of law to something that now is probably a little bit short of the civil litigation rigors, but uh, certainly more complicated than it had been uh, even 10 or 20 years ago when we started. Where you are defending primarily insurance companies and self-insured employers, uh, let's start off with what is it that makes a case complex from a defense counsel standpoint? Well, I think it's, uh, I've categorized it in in some of uh, these programs that I've spoken at over the years as uh, basically, a, a, a two-part or, or a two-fold description of cases uh, that I consider to be complex, um, and these are the medically complex cases, and uh, what I would categorize as well as uh, uh, labor dispute cases. Well, let me back up for a minute. Maybe I should talk first of all about what is a non-complex case. And uh, for those who practice in this area, although uh, I guess sometimes even the, the simplest case always has wrinkles, uh, the non-complex case is your classic uh, injury case where the dispute is uh, whether uh, the employee is still disabled or still needs medical treatment, uh, back injuries, knee injuries, 
repetitive stress, carpal tunnel injuries, things of that sort. We see those all the time, and I think uh, most veteran practitioners, plaintiffs or defendants, uh, counsel uh, can try those uh, left-handed, really. But um, but we start to earn our pay, I think, uh, both from the plaintiff's end and the defense end in the, in the complex cases, and that's uh, where I think insurers and uh, employers look to us uh, for guidance. Uh, as often as not on these more routine cases, the claims adjuster for the insurance company is perfectly capable of making decisions with respect to investigation, uh, settlement, things of that sort, whereas you get in some of these unusual areas, um, I think uh, maybe a steadier hand or a more seasoned hand is uh, uh, is certainly welcome and certainly, I think, uh, they uh, certainly productive. All right. When I speak of medically complex cases, I should probably start with that. Um, I'm speaking of cases largely, and I think particularly in the last 10 to 20 years, uh, psychiatric cases, uh, mental illness cases, um, where whether it's a particular stressor at work has brought about but by that I mean an emotional stress uh, at work brought about an emotional sequela or a disabling sequela. Uh, oftentimes, of course, it could be a, a physical injury that uh, can bring about the same uh, problem. But other types of cases, uh, the heart attack case, which are almost invariably complicated by coronary artery disease, chemical exposure, uh, uh, pneumoconiosis-type cases, asbestos, silicosis, and uh, some types of these, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, psychiatric slash uh, physical injury cases where there's overlap and nobody knows where it begins and where it ends. For example, fibromyalgia cases, chronic fatigue syndrome cases, things of that sort. Those are the medically complex cases. Now, uh, the and then before I get into talking about how we address those, just briefly in the labor cases. I guess simply these are cases where there's a labor issue involved, and I don't mean necessarily that there's a union, there's a collective bargaining agreement. Rather, there's a, an issue perhaps of a, of a dismissal of an employer, an un, uh, employee, an unjust dismissal, uh, sexual harassment. Uh, you know, there may be union issues as well, handicap discrimination, racial discrimination, um, things of that sort that uh, – can certainly complicate a, a, a simple orthopedic case when there are other issues that may militate to keep a person out of work or, for that matter, have an employer uh, uh, also not uh, make adjusted work available for claimant. Let's talk a little bit about the exposure cases. Um, you, you are handed a file from an insurance company. The claim is maybe a permanent disability claim or a death claim, and it's a worker who worked many years for your policyholder and was exposed to a variety of chemicals and other substances. What are the challenges that face you immediately? What do you do in terms of an investigation, and how do you control that case or defend it? Well, uh, when you have a situation like that, the first thing that jumps to my mind is uh, – in defending a case is typically, as you just outlined in your hypothetical here, the employee has been there many years. Um, that in and of itself puts me on my 10-yard line in these cases. Um, if uh, the next, uh, so so I look at that with some trepidation, I would say, for a long-term employee. But much depends upon the nature of the allegation being alleged. Um, uh, there are certain types of uh, exposure cases where uh, the particular uh, disorder or dysfunction uh, can be identified with the uh, 
uh, with the actual agent. For example, uh, in the asbestos field, uh, we all heard of a disease, uh, mesothelioma, which is, uh, although not invariably so, typically associated with asbestos exposure. So uh, that will, um, uh, a case such as that, obviously, you'd want to know where the employee uh, uh, may have been exposed. Uh, there are certain latency periods with those disease, with that particular disease as to whether he was working there long enough. Uh, what other agents may have, have caused it. But uh, typically what we do, and I think as importantly as anything else, we obtain the employee's complete medical file, and I'm talking about since he went back to kindergarten. With respect to a general chemical exposure, obviously we're going to need uh, the MSDSs of all the uh, chemicals that are being used in the facility. Uh, the downside of that is that uh, if you get an employee who's been working there 30 or 40 years, um, we may have what's uh, been used at this place for the last five or ten years, or, but we didn't always have those, so that may be of of less help. Um, the um, uh, those are those are kind of the basic items uh, as far as the employer is concerned. Also, history. Uh, what other uh, things that I would be interested in? How many other people have come down with this particular disorder? Uh, what other causes are there of this particular disorder? When you have a person who, for example, worked in a plant and he comes down with uh, asthma, there's a thing known as adult-onset asthma, which isn't necessarily related to employment. Uh, what's his uh, family history? Uh, how many other people in the plant are getting uh, this particular disorder? These are, these are preliminary steps, and as often as not, one thing will lead to another. Uh, but... Uh, journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And as, as the defense counsel and maybe the quarterback of the, the team that's going to defend this case, if you get, let's say, uh, an exposure case, do you recommend your client call in an industrial hygienist? Do you recognize it could be a two-edged sword? Um, or do you find that you generally get some ammunition to defeat a claim by uh, getting an assessment of the environment? Well, the, the problem, uh, uh, I, I, let me give you a lawyerly answer on that. It depends. Um, the um, the problem with many of the industrial hygiene studies that um, uh, that are done in these cases is that the cow has often left the barn. Uh, we'll find out about the employee has gone out because he had these horrible exposures and all the rest of it. And uh, the industrial hygiene study is done six months or a year after this particular event took place. Uh, and although we can lay a foundation, if we can have people say, well, the conditions are the exact same as they were um, a year ago, and we have a study now showing it's a very safe environment. You know, we can bootstrap it that way, but as often as not, the testimony goes in, well, things are a lot different, or the place was cleaned up the day they went in for the industrial hygiene study, or it isn't the same. Um, it does not hurt. Um, uh, I think to, uh, I mean, it, it really is case specific, but I don't think I'd be particularly concerned about. Um, the uh, of it poisoning my own case, um, uh, because I think there's also there maybe an inference that you know if an employee comes in and describes clouds of dust and and uh, everybody hacking and coughing and all the rest of it, um, we're uh, you know uh, if if we do nothing, if we say nothing, I think that inference it's, it's going to be unrebutted. Uh, if we get a study and shows that, well, that, you know, the dust that they see is some sort of an inert dust, something like that, that, that clearly is going to help us out. But I, I don't, I'm not one who uh, um, would recommend that we stay away from that. And besides, if we do have a problem, an employer has a problem, you want to know about it now. 
uh, and you don't want more claims coming down the road. Let's talk a little bit, and I mean a little bit because this topic could probably take up an afternoon, but the case law, and not only in Massachusetts, but around the country on the admissibility of scientific evidence, the so-called Daubert standard of reliability, how have you seen that impacting the defense of workers' comp cases? Is it a help to you? Is it uh, a non-issue? Well, um, it's mixed. I, I heard an earlier speaker on this topic talking about it really helps the plaintiffs. Um, I think um, that it is still uh, the Dobert um, uh, case and uh, the, you know, giving, uh, requiring a certain amount of scientific uh, verifiability still helps the defense bar more than the plaintiff's bar in the sense that uh, we have, and typically in these uh, forums, we have uh, judges who uh, I think by inclination uh, and by the nature of these workers' compensation acts are very favorably disposed towards uh, claimants and typically uh, in the cases where there are Dobert issues, these occupational disease cases, things of that sort, the injuries are usually pretty severe. So uh, oftentimes, however, so when it, when testimony is proffered that that is really uh, one doctor's opinion without a lot of, without the uh, reliability tests outlined in Dobert um, uh, or the scientific method as proposed in Dobert that um, uh, sometimes we can get cases that we otherwise would lose tipped over on a legal basis but um, uh, it's certainly we're better off than I think we were 20 years ago defending these cases simply because you could get almost any physician off the street who would be self-appointed as an expert and um, and typically those uh, uh, findings would be sustained. Mm. You're referring to IME doctors, I, I think. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> you mentioned another uh, area of complexity, and that is the uh, the labor issue of the, of right. the case within a case. You can right. find it in sexual harassment, psychiatric disability, disgruntled employees, disgruntled employers. Um, tell us the unique challenges that you've been faced with on that score. Okay. I think w- the biggest challenge, and this has less to do with the actual trial of the case, but has more to do with the handling of a case. And when I look talk about handling a case from a defense perspective, it goes from uh, the moment we get the case until the ultimate uh, trial or and or settlement resolution. And as you know, uh, the, uh, there's an old maxim, uh, the best case is a settled case. The problem with these type of cases that is more unique to this area than uh, other types of comp cases is that it gets personal. And by that, I mean the employer, uh, when there are allegations of basically misconduct by an employer or by the, whether it's the company president, the HR people, things of that sort, these are the people who typically, well, certainly in a uh, self-insured situation, they're the people who make decisions on that. And in an insured situation, I know uh, it's not, I guess, not unique to Massachusetts, but we have a system here where employers actually have to consent to settlements. And uh, as often as not, when the knives are out, uh, employers are, are much more willing to uh, try a case that may otherwise it would have been prudent to settle. And that, uh, in, in many ways, it's almost like a domestic relations case. You know, the, um, sometimes your clients don't listen to you. So that's, that's the, the, big, the big problem. Um, it's also hard uh, in the actual defense of the case to tease out what are really the uh, the medical issues and what are really the anger issues. We, um, but as far as defending those cases, uh, 
there are actually in some ways I guess it's uh, you, you do have a little more of an advantage than you do on the on the straight orthopedic cases because you have testimony and documents from the other forums that are available to you. So when the person who brings the harassment claim or the discrimination claim, or let's say he's uh, discriminated against because of a particular handicap, the allegation is typically, if these folks had uh, made a reasonable accommodation for me, I could be working right now. Whereas, of course, in the comp forum, the person is alleging I can't work at all. They're, 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 there's, if you have enough information from different sources, particularly if the people are represented by different lawyers with different agendas, uh, you can create a nice record for yourself. Which uh, brings up um, an issue I'd like to get your perspective on, and that is workers' comp uh, hearings and the dispute resolution process as compared to other administrative agencies or civil courts. A, moves much more quickly, and B, there is much more limited discovery on both sides of the table. So if you are faced with a claim in which the claimant and his or her attorney have all their ducks in a row, have their medicals and have filed the claim, and you're looking at perhaps three to six months being for, being before a judge and not having the ability to take depositions, how do you effectively defend a serious case given the lack of available discovery, and what discovery do you avail yourself of? Well, uh, typically, if it's a serious enough case, and one, one of the things that when you're defending for insurance company, of course, defense costs are a big deal, and uh, uh, and the, the maximum of the insurance companies is we don't want lawyers doing uh, adjusters' work. Unfortunately, in a serious case, in a complicated case, the adjuster who may have hundreds of cases ranging from hernias to bum knees is not going to do the type of investigation. So if it's a serious enough case, the employer has to be put on notice. We're going to have to do the discovery. We're going to have to get the information. And and there are manners of discovery that are that are uh, outside the common, uh, you know, deposition interrogatory stuff, which generally aren't available in workers' comp. You can hire outside investigators to talk to uh, people at the employer, and of course, obviously, surveillance, activities checks, things of that sort. Um, getting medical records, typically, uh, I know in our forum, uh, we have a right to the people's medical records, if the, uh, the, the claimant's medical records. If they've put it in play, we have a right to their records. Plaintiff's lawyers sometimes um, are slow getting these records to us. Um, I think most of the time it's because of overwork, but uh, when they are really... Uh, reluctant to provide them, we have means of getting them, whether we can move to stay proceedings and slow down the proceedings. or uh, But as often as not, uh, and what I've done in this jurisdiction a lot in the last few years is just tell the plaintiff's lawyers, hey, we need these records. Uh, I'll uh, send out a keeper of the records deposition. Um, if you're really uncomfortable uh, with me seeing the records first, you can get them first. Just send them over to me, and if, and if there is an issue that you want to delete something, we can go before a judge. There are ways to get these. Um, now, um, I think one of the advantages a comp lawyer has, uh, as opposed to uh, a civil litigation lawyer who is used to having every piece of testimony uh, that is likely to come in the court, as opposed to... Uh, uh, you know, they, they'll have heard it before at a deposition, is that in workers' comp, the lawyers are used to it, and you can anticipate. And, and I think there's a lot uh, uh, a lot to be said for uh, an on-your-toes workers' compensation lawyer because you can almost predict certain things are going to be said because you're trying similar cases all the time. And 
I know when I made a transition from the comp over to the civil courts, and I was in a, a certain, uh, oh, for a couple of years we were in the asbestos forum where a lot of cases would actually be tried in the federal court without discovery. Uh, it was very, very much seat of the pants, like people tried cases 60, 70 years ago. I was in a much better position to do that uh, than other veteran members of the bar because this is what I did in the comp forum. So I think, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of it is uh, shortcutted, but you have an advantage as an experienced lawyer. But there are ways we can do it without formal discovery. Great. You know, we're going to take a short break right now and come back with more from our special guest, Attorney Tom O'Reilly, talking about defending the complex workers' comp case. And we're also going to put Tom to the test in our case of the day feature. We'll be right back. You can listen to Workers' Comp Matters anytime on your computer or download the show to listen later. We invite you to join as a member to Legal Talk Network so you can get updates on our upcoming Internet radio shows. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Legal Talk Network is proud to promote the work of Kids Chance, a nationwide scholarship program that helps the children of people injured or killed on the job. Check out LegalTalkNetwork.com or KidsChance.org for more information about how you can help too. Workers' Comp Matters with attorney Alan S. Pierce is produced right here at the Legal Talk Network by a staff of professional news broadcasters. We're the only ones who can provide the best quality shows with the latest legal news, talk, and information in an interactive format you won't find anywhere else. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters, the show where we talk about the issues that matter in workers' comp cases. Today's topic is defending the complex workers' compensation case, and our guest is Thomas O'Reilly of Boston. Tom, before we get to the case of the day, I want to ask your um, opinion and get your thoughts on something I think is greatly underused by defense counsel, and that is having employers actively involved, especially at the Industrial Accident Board where we practice, and having them available not only to assist you in evaluating the evidence or the materials that come in, but also to discuss light-duty work and to get an appreciation of the posture of the case so that you may need to recommend settlement or some other disposition. Why is it that we don't see employers involved as much as we could, and what uh, what steps do you take to get them involved with you? Well, um, 
Let me give you a, a kind of a visceral reaction to this. First of all, I think a lot of defense lawyers don't like the employers around because it's a pain in the neck, really, uh, in the sense that uh, having to do Comp 101 for people all the time who don't know what's going on, this is where the bathroom is, this is where you sit, you can do this, that, and the other. Uh, I think it's a small price to pay, however, because increasingly over the last few years, uh, I've preferred to have employers there because, one, they can educate me. Uh, two, I can educate them uh, so that they will really know what's going on. Most employers have a vague idea as to what's going on, uh, and they just assume that, uh, let's say, in a contested case, well, the person really wasn't injured or he's really, you know, someone saw him in a local bar room, he didn't look bad. Uh, they will hear the medical evidence. They will be able to enlighten me as to what the claimant's real work activities were. When the, Actually, when an employee testifies in one of these cases during a break, uh, the employer will come out to me and say, well, you know, he said this or he said that, but, you know, that really isn't the case. That was the case a year before or something like that. Uh, I think it's great. And, um, and, as, and as often as not, when we do go back to the employer for settlement authority, the, the, you know, the moon and the stars line up for settlement, they know why. And they also know, and they've seen you in action as the lawyer, trying the case, doing, you know, hopefully a good job, being on top of it, so they have a certain confidence factor. So that when you say, I think we should pay X, or, you know, this will break your heart, or pay nothing, if that may be the case, um, that uh, they have confidence in that, and it's a lot easier to get those, uh, get them involved. Tom, I want to uh, shift gears a little bit. We have a feature here on Workers' Comp Matters uh, known as the case of the day, and I'm going to describe a case that comes from a court outside of Massachusetts and um, ask your opinion as to what happened. And because I know your law firm defends a lot of the major teaching hospitals in Boston and deals with uh, the self-insurers and in the context of insurers, I want to uh, talk to you about the case of Hawksby versus DiPietro. It came out of the state of New Jersey in the year 2000. And it actually was a medical malpractice case, and you're probably getting a sense of where this is going. Let me just tell you a little bit of what happened. Donald Hawksby worked uh, as a pressman, and while performing his duties, he fell from a ladder and he hurt his leg. Now, the employer had its own health care facility that provided medical treatment for those injuries. And Donald was given some minor treatment by the employer's nurse. He went to the emergency room, and he later consulted a full-time on-site physician who worked in the employer's on-site clinic. Now, this physician, who ultimately became the defendant in a civil medical malpractice suit, treated Mr. Hawksby for about a year, and the pain never went away. Finally, Hawksby went to an orthopedic oncologist who discovered there was a large-grade sarcoma or tumor in his leg, and he underwent cancer treatment. He collected workers' compensation benefits, however, in a order uh, awarding him benefits, it was explicitly stated that the cancer was not causally related to his employment. Hawksby then sued the company physician, alleging that he committed medical malpractice. What do you think the New Jersey Supreme Court held with respect to whether or not Hawksby could sue his employer's physician? Okay, well, uh, if it's New Jersey, I suspect that they would find that he could. All right. Um, I the uh, this is a couple of things uh, that every case turns on its own facts. If this were a situation where 
an employee um, just had, first of all, I, I don't think the fact that the tumor was there or not is really that uh, that relevant. Um, I mean, it's relevant to malpractice and the diagnosis, but whether it was a work-related problem. Because if you, uh, I think if you went in uh, to, let's say, the classic company clinic and you had some pains and they, tr- you know, uh, that they thought was because you stubbed your toe and it was really, a, you know, a cancer of your toe, something like that, that I, I think what precipitated you in there was, a, you know, brought you in there was a work injury. But here, the thing that would be more troublesome to me is that it seems that after the immediate treatment, the person, the employer was really more in a different capacity at this point. They were in a capacity for treatment, and it got beyond the uh, initial treatment. But I would, uh, I would say that based on those facts, I would say New Jersey would say you could sue. Well, you're you're wrong in your um, assessment, but you're right in the analysis. Um, this became a so-called dual capacity case. And the Supreme Court in New Jersey held that, in this case, the physician was indeed immune from a medical malpractice action. He was employed by the claimant's employer. He had treated the work-related condition in the employer's clinic and that they did not recognize the dual-capacity doctrine of fellow employee and private physician. Therefore, uh, this physician and the employer was entitled to Compensation Act tort immunity. But your answer points out the fact that we are 50 state jurisdictions in this country. We also have a wide variety of other workers' compensation systems, whether it be the federal uh, um, workers and uh, Longshore Harbor workers or Jones Act for seamen. And whatever results occur in New Jersey or whatever cases we discuss here on the case of the day may not have the same applicability in another jurisdiction. But you hit the nail on the head when you indicated that there was a dual capacity um, problem here. However, the court did not find that to uh, exist in the jurisdiction of New Jersey. Tom, we have just a couple of minutes before we end our topic. Do you have any closing thoughts on the complexities of workers' comp practice today as opposed to when you started? Well, when I uh, started, which is, uh, well, it seems like yesterday, but it was uh, 1973, uh, we did not, uh, with the exception of the occasional heart attack case, most of our claims were bad uh, backs, bum necks, bum knees, things of that sort. We didn't have this whole uh, panoply of uh, uh, related litigation, uh, The and of course, uh, science itself, the asbestos litigation uh, itself was unheard of. So it has become more complex. And although the garden variety cases are still the bread and butter of the practitioners here, uh, the cases that uh, actually take up most of my time now, the actual time element, not the number of cases, are these more complex ones. And and from the perspective of, uh, of a lawyer who's done this for a long time, uh, they're actually a lot more fun to do because there, there are some unique challenges in them. Tom, I couldn't agree with you more, and we are sadly out of time for today. I want to thank Attorney Tom O'Reilly from Boston for joining me today. Tom, if somebody wanted to reach you, how do they do that? Well, uh, we're at 55 Summer Street, Boston. Uh, my number, my uh, email is uh, T O'Reilly. that's T-O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, at com, and um, I'd be glad to chat up anyone who wants to call. Tom, thanks for uh, being here today, and to all of you out there, thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters. Now, go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. 
hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other workers' comp matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.